You can turn in your Bibles now to Exodus chapter 39. Exodus 39. We're going to be reading Exodus 39 and 40 this morning. This is the holy word of God, friends. Authoritative and sufficient for all things. It says, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and the scarlet yarns and into the fine twined linen in skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its two edges and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the breast piece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. It was square. They made the breast piece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled. And they set, it in, four rows, they set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and Carbuncle was the first row, and the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were twelve stones with the names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes, and they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the two cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod. At its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen and the sash of fine twined linen and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And they tied to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ramskins and goatskins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles, and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold, and its lamps with the lamps set, all, all its utensils, and the oil for the light, and its lamps with the lamps set, and all its utensils, I've read that again, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of courts, its, uh, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark with the veil and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the, land, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Amen. Friends, here we are at the end of Exodus. I kind of can't believe it. Have you guys ever been to a large zoo or aquarium? All right, yes. I, I love zoos and aquariums. Uh, when we lived in Philly, I would go to the Philly Zoo or Adventure Aquarium in Camden sometimes weekly on my day off. They're just great places to walk around, to be silent and observe, and to learn tons about God's creation. I could talk about them for hours on end. But anyways, if you've ever been to a large zoo or aquarium, you know how it goes. You get there and you check out the map and you try to make a game plan for getting to everything, seeing everything that the zoo or the aquarium has to offer. And there may be a small thought in your mind that says, there is no way that we're going to see all this stuff. It's not possible. But... Then one step at a time, you see one exhibit after the other, you take a break for lunch, you stop to read all the signs and the plaques and do all the interactive things, you see big creatures and little creatures, and then all of a sudden, you're done. It's been a day, you might be exhausted, but it probably didn't even take you as long as you thought it would. 
And you've seen all of it. It's a blur when you think about it, though. Maybe a few things stand out, but you probably have to just process to recall specifics. Well, like a trip to a big zoo or aquarium, what a journey it has been for us through the book of Exodus. We have covered a lot of ground. We've seen lots of exhibits of the Lord's power and plan his provision and protection, his justice and faithfulness among many, many others. We've seen God's people be in awe of God, be bored with God, rebel against God, and repent and follow God. All of this working together for us to see the overarching theme of Exodus, brought out to belong. Here's just a flyby of things that we've seen and learned about in Exodus. We've seen God send Moses the deliverer to rescue his people from their 400 years of slavery to Egypt. We've seen Moses be afraid to speak for God and lacking faith to trust God. We've seen the 10 plagues against Egypt and its gods demonstrating God's sovereign power over all things. We've seen God protect and escort his people out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud and fire. We've seen God provide food in the form of manna and quail and water out of a rock. We've seen God meet with Moses on Mount Sinai and give the Ten Commandments, the foundation for what it looks like to live for and submit to the one true God who saves and rescues us from slavery and sin and death. We've seen Israel forget God's commands and do what they felt was right over and over again. We've also seen them complain about being taken out of Egypt, away from their comforts. We've seen Aaron fashion an idol of a golden bull and try to convince Moses that it just jumped out of the fire that way. We've seen over and over our great God who is committed to his people, who has made and kept covenants for our good and his glory who is abundant in his goodness and mercy and grace towards us. We've seen that our Lord cares very much about details because they exhibit his intentionality and purpose in all things. We've seen instructions for and construction of the tabernacle, which is designed, among other things, to give us a taste of Eden and of heaven, to remind us where we've come from and where we're going, all made possible by our Lord. And we have seen, friends, time and time again, how Jesus is the founder, perfecter, hope, purpose, promise, solution, reality of all of these things. Church, what a trip we've made together. And as we wrap things up today, as we enter the gift shop of the journey, if you will, we've got some summaries as well as a lot to take home and display in our homes and through our lives. So let us finish well. Our main idea for today is that the Lord's commands are for our good and his glory. The Lord's commands are for our good and his glory. We're going to see this through three points this morning. The tabernacle and God's glory, 
Jesus and God's glory and a holy priesthood and God's glory. Let's get started with point number one. The tabernacle and God's glory. Similar to last week, everything that we see this morning in our text in chapter 39 and most of 40 are things that we've already gone over in great detail in our series with the priestly garments and the tabernacle. But I want to start by quickly zooming in on the last two verses of chapter 39. Chapter 39, verses 42, 43 say this, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so they'd done it. Then Moses blessed them. Friends, this is important because it reinforces that all of this that's being done is being done according to God's plan and no one else's. It reinforces that the people are following God's commands and following his instructions to a T. And it shows Moses blesses the people for all their hard work and commitment to constructing and making everything according to God's instructions. God is pleased with all of this work and it is done according to his word so that just like we saw last week, it is good. And God blesses the people through Moses. This should connect another dot for us in the Bible back to creation where everything was made according to God's design and it was good. But then we get into the rest of 39 and 40. We start to see this different kind of summary. The priestly garments have finally been made and the tabernacle is finally being assembled. I think it's really cool when it tells us this is happening. In verse 2, we see God saying to Moses, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. There's something cool about this because it's a tangible way that God is using to help communicate to his people that life is going to be different from now on. The first day of the first month of the year, and now you have the tabernacle so that I can be among you again. I love that tangible, fresh start to the year from the Lord. Another thing to catch in this summary text is that everything is to be anointed for service and ministry in the tabernacle. After everything's put together and made and put in place according to God's instructions, we see in verse 9 that God says to Moses, Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. We also read that this means everything. You guys heard all those details, all the utensils, the furnitures, the altars, the basin, all of it. All of it is is anointed for ministry to and for God's people. Because as we've seen throughout the instruction for these things, they all have a purpose and play a part in the right worship of the Lord. So the priestly garments are intricately, beautifully made, and the tabernacle is finally finished and assembled, and the Ark of the Covenant has been placed inside, and then in what must have been a truly wonderful and awesome to see the cloud descend on the, on the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord fill it. 
I can, I can only try to imagine what that must have looked like. Not even Moses was allowed to enter that. But the glory of the Lord filled this dwelling place. What a sight that must have been. And church, even though we weren't there for it, even though we don't get to see it with our own eyes today, we can read this and be blown away that the sovereign creator of all things, the almighty God, cares so much about his people that he actually wants to be with us and was willing to descend to earth in this form to do so. It's absolutely incredible, and it should bolster your faith to know that God loves and cares about you that much. I've been thinking about this, letting it sink in, in the picture of an adult getting down on the floor to play with a group of kids. Does the adult have to get down on their hands and knees or lay down on the ground to play with or engage with or have fun with the kids? No. They can do all those things standing up or even from a distance. But does it change the kids' experience? Does it change their perspective? You better believe it. Does it make them feel more appreciated and valued and loved and respected? Of course it does. When we think about God coming down to our we level, it should make us feel those things too, friends. He doesn't stay off in the distance. He doesn't just stay standing above us. No, he has come down to us. That's how much he loves us. Then we have these closing verses at the end of Exodus 40. Verses 36 to 38 say, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Life was certainly different for Israel from this day forward. Throughout All their journeys, the very presence of the glory of the Lord would be with them in the tabernacle. And it would guide them on when and where to go. The people who were brought out of Egypt to belong to their God now have him dwelling among them in the tabernacle. The presence of his glory serving as an amazing reminder of his power, his plan, his provision, and his unending faithfulness. All of this demonstrating that the Lord's commands are for our good and for his glory. Church, we've seen so much of God's glory on display throughout Exodus. And we've seen how over and over Jesus is pointed to and foreshadowed and promised. And we appropriately see this again here this morning. Which brings us to our second point. Jesus and God's glory. I want us to look at a few specific ways that our text this morning is pointing to Jesus. First is in the tabernacle itself. Joel mentioned this last week, but it's here again this morning. The tabernacle isn't just a pointing back to the Garden of Eden, and it's not just a sort of salt box that can give us a taste of where we come from, and it's not just pointing to our eternal hope of heaven. 
It is also pointing to God himself dwelling with his people by sending his one and only son, Jesus. The language used in the Gospel of John when it says that the word dwelt among us, that word is tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled among us. This completed tabernacle filled with the glory of the Lord that we see here this morning must remind us that God came to earth to dwell with, to guide, to minister to, to save and rescue his people in the form of his son, Jesus. Second, Jesus is foreshadowed by the priests and priestly garments The garments are all about having a priest who is chosen and set apart, one who is holy and anointed for ministry to and for God's people. We see this in verses 12 to 15 of chapter 40. It says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood through their generations. How does this point to Jesus? Well, it points to our need for a priest and it points to that being a need for us in an ongoing way. But do you remember way back when we went through the genealogy of Aaron and Moses together? And how we took a look at the genealogy of Jesus and saw that they connect? The last part of verse 15 here is fulfilled in Jesus, friends. He is our perfect priest forever. He is perfect and blameless and holy and anointed for ministry to and for God's people forevermore. Third, Jesus is foreshadowed by the veil in the tabernacle and the presence of the glory of God in the tabernacle. We know that the veil represents a barrier between the holy, glorious presence of the Lord and sin. For imperfect, sinful, uncleansed, unanointed people to be in the presence of God means death. And we know that this veil is then represented by the thick curtain in the temple maintaining the same barrier. But what we also know, church, is that that curtain, that veil, that barrier was torn in two from top to bottom the very moment that Jesus died. Why? Because in that moment, every sin had been paid for by his blood. Jesus made it possible for us to be in the presence of God without dying, but would ultimately send the very spirit of God to dwell or tabernacle within us. Believer, just as the glory and the presence of God descended on the tabernacle, so his spirit has descended on you. Just as the glory and presence of God helped to guide and protect Israel, so the Spirit of God helps to guide and protect you today. This is only possible because of Jesus and his death on your behalf. This is the power of the gospel, friends. God sent his son to live the perfect life we couldn't so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins completely and perfectly. When he died, the curtain was ripped in two, 
signifying the removal of that barrier between God and man, and also that Jesus would be our perfect mediator and priest forever. He rose from the dead on the third day, conquering sin and death, appeared to many disciples over many days, and then ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father after completing his assignment. And then he sent the Spirit of God to dwell within his people, assuring us that we belong to him, assuring us that he will always provide for, guide, and help us, and assuring us that he will come back. Praise the Lord. Friends, when we read about the priestly garments and the priests and the veil, they should all point us to Jesus like this. They all point to our need for him and his perfect fulfillment. There is truly none like him, and he achieves all of this. He makes reconciliation with God possible. He makes the indwelling spirit of God possible for us. He carries out his perfect priestly role all for the glory of God. All of this, the whole book of Exodus, shouts and proclaims God's glory because it's all according to his commands and plan and design. Because again, his commands are for our good and for his glory. Our God wants to be with his people, church. And he's gone to incredible lengths to make it possible. He has brought us out of our slavery to sin to belong to him. And he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise for who he is and what he's done. Amen? Amen. Amen. But what do we do with that? Being aware of it is good. Believing it is wonderful. Trusting it will help you tremendously in life. But what does it mean for our daily lives? Jesus is our perfect high priest, but he has also called and commissioned us to be his holy royal priesthood here on earth until he returns. This brings us to our final point this morning. Point number three, a holy priesthood and God's glory. Because this is a New Testament reality for us, that we live on this side of Jesus coming to earth and accomplishing our salvation and giving us his spirit, I want to take us to 1 Peter 2 to unpack some of what it means for us to be living this out today. 1 Peter 2, 4-5 says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He then continues in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. 
Church, there's so much hope and help to be found in this passage. We're going to focus on being a holy priesthood. But first, I just want to encourage you all. Redeemer Fellowship, I truly, truly have never been a part of a church where I have visibly, tangibly experienced living stones being built together and held together by the power and spirit of Christ as much as I have here. You all excel at being the living stones that are being built into the spiritual house that is Redeemer Fellowship, just a part of the universal church, and it is beautiful. Your hospitality, your genuine warmth and welcoming, your eagerness and willingness to meet new people and make new friendships, it's all incredible. Living together in this way honors the Lord. So keep it up and depend on him to keep building us together as living stones in this way. Now, back to business. What I really want to focus on by way of application this morning is being a holy priesthood. What does it mean for us to be a holy priesthood today? Let's start with the word holy. Holy means to be set apart. A good place to go to to see more of what it means to be holy as a follower of Jesus is 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. Jot that down. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. Don't have time to read it today. But one of the lines from God in that passage to us is the end of verse 16 where God says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Being holy means that our lives look different than they used to before Jesus saved us. It means that we are daily becoming more like him and that we are regularly confessing our sins, repenting of them, and asking for the Spirit's help to continue to change and submit more and more of our lives to God's good commands because they're for our good, right? Friend, take a moment to recall your life before Jesus saved you. Are you a different person now than you were then? Of course you are. But are you living your life differently than you were back then? Hopefully you are. And hopefully it gets more and more different as time goes on and you become more like Jesus. But maybe you feel stuck right now. Or like you're in a spiritual rut. Or like there's silence or vast space between you and God currently. Either way, think about these things with me. Do you make a regular practice of confessing your sins to God and asking for his help to fight against them? Do you take time to consider what sins may have taken root in your life and need to be rooted out by the power of the Spirit? Consider taking time to ask God to help you see the sin in your life, the ones you know about and the ones that you don't, and for his help to repent from and run away from them, in all in an effort to live the holy life that God is commanding you to live. 
Your holiness matters for your own soul and it matters for those around you too. Your example and model of holiness matters to the people in your life. Are they being encouraged and drawn towards holiness by your example? Or are you exampling that it doesn't really matter? Your holiness matters also to the people just watching and observing your life. This could be classmates, coworkers, extended family. People watch you, friend. And if you claim to love Jesus but don't live like it, you're not modeling what a holy life looks like. But, praise God, our holiness isn't just up to us. No, we have the very spirit of God alive and active in us to help us fight against sin probably more than we'll ever know. Ask God for his help, church, and he will gladly, eagerly help you to live a holy life. But what about the priesthood part of things? Well, we know that Aaron and his sons and every other priest of God were anointed for their ministry. They were washed clean. They were given new garments and anointed to serve. Sound familiar? Christian, you have been washed clean in the blood of Jesus. You have been given new sparkling white garments for the rest of your life. And you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit to serve those around you. But what does that look like? We know from Exodus that the priests were responsible for praying, for ministering, or caring for God's people, and also taking their sins before the Lord. What might it look like for all of us to be doing those things for each other today? Got some questions. Do you actively, regularly, intentionally pray for the people in your life? Do you look for opportunities to pray with others on Sundays and in fellowship group or throughout your week? Do you look for ways to care for people, to love them, and to demonstrate the love of Christ to them? Asking someone how they're really doing is an excellent place to start. Try asking what's the most exciting things about life for you right now. What are the hardest things about life for you right now? See where the conversation goes. I bet you'll get the chance to know people better or to be known better by others and get new chances to care for and love and encourage the people around you. What about helping others take their sins and burdens to the Lord? Sometimes helping others take their sins and burdens to the Lord is quicker and in the moment, like just reminding someone that their sins have been forgiven by Jesus. That's a significant statement to remind a Christian with. Sometimes it's a longer game approach full of patience and forbearance, speaking truth in love and gentleness and trusting the Lord to work in others' hearts and lives. But either way, friends, none of us are designed to carry such burdens alone. We're not designed to carry them indefinitely. We can't. It will crush us. But you know who can? It's Jesus. He is designed. He has 
he has called us to lay our burdens at his feet. He has paid for them. He will carry them. He will remove the weight and burden of them from your soul. He is the only one that can do it. Lay your burdens at his feet and help others to lay their burdens at his feet as well. Guys, as we live life with one another and get to know each other deeper, we'll start to see and experience each other's sins more. And part of functioning as the holy priesthood is helping each other to take our sins to the one who has paid for them and forgiven us of their eternal weight and punishment. Sometimes we're really good at trying to keep all of that to ourselves, but that's a recipe for discontent, for despair, and even disaster. Friends, let us be the holy priesthood. Let us function as the holy priesthood by quickly, regularly reminding each other to lay our burdens at the feet of the only one who can truly do anything about them. Believer, you cannot save anyone. And you cannot take, make anyone respond a certain way. But that doesn't mean that we don't faithfully strive to be the holy priesthood to one another. We need one another for these things. And we need the Spirit's help to go about it rightly. Ask him for his help and then get to work. Those are just a couple of the ways that we can be functioning and being God's holy priesthood. And friends, I want to close with considering what it means for us to proclaim his excellencies. Everything we've covered this morning, it's all for this. The Lord's commands are emphatically for our good, but more importantly, they're for his glory. We're not called to be living stones and a holy priesthood just for ourselves. We've seen that over and over this morning. We're called to these things for our good as well as the good of the rest of the people of the church so that we might proclaim the excellencies of the Lord. How does that verse in 1 Peter 2 end? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Believer, we should be celebrating and rejoicing in these gracious, merciful realities loudly, joyfully, corporately, collectively. When we do, it has a remarkable effect on our souls as we praise and thank and glorify the Lord together. This is an example of recounting our salvation. Every time we do this, it builds our faith in our great God. But you know what else it does? It proclaims his excellencies to the world around us. Just like the tabernacle was an exhibit of God's glory to the nations, so the church today and every Christian are designed to be clear and wonderful exhibits of God's glory to everyone around us. Do you want others to know and experiencing, experience the transforming power of the gospel? Do you want others to know that they are created and known and loved by God? Well, the more we proclaim his excellencies together, the more the glory of God is on display for the world to see 
and know and believe who he is and what he's done. We're all individual tabernacles exhibiting God's glory to the world and proclaiming his excellencies, letting everyone around us know that he's called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light and that we belong to him. Our God is with us, friends. He is with you. You are a living stone being built into a spiritual house. You are a part of a holy, royal priesthood used by God to care for, to love, and to encourage his people. You have been brought out of darkness into the light of Christ, and you belong to our loving, powerful, faithful God. So, Let us live for him as his holy priesthood together, following all his commands because they are for our good and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.